Hey, sports fans, welcome to Greg Medford Show. I'm your host, Greg, here, Phoenix, Arizona. We're back at the factory, finally, after a couple weeks abroad, doing all sorts of other things. I know you guys have seen all the podcasts up. Today, we have a guest. We're going to talk a little bit about um, first impressions and thoughts coming through the factory. Um, so some of you know me from my politics, and you come to the channel to talk about conservative politics. Some of you know me from the knife world and come to hear me talk about politics. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit about knives. So this is a little bit more about what I do for a living. So our guest today is uh, Ben Quinata. Ben, did I say that right? Yes, you did. So you were coming through for a tour the other day. Yes. And uh, you live here in Phoenix, right? I do. Uh, is there anything about you I can't, uh, can I can I ask what you do for a living? Sure, sure. I'm a systems engineer for a local company here. Uh, we work mainly with like Amazon and Microsoft Azure. So I'm in the in the cloud. Okay, you so you do software stuff. That that's correct. Cool. And what what actual part of it do you do? Are you a coder or are you a engineer or what do you? I am mostly in the infrastructure engineer. So I set up all the all the networking and security, and then the software developers they throw in their software there. And uh, I help run and run and maintain the software. There's a whole crazy universe on the other side of the screen, isn't there? Yes. Attacks and just stuff coming from everywhere. Do you deal with cybersecurity a little bit as well? Yes. Uh, yes. Sometimes we we get a we get a call from our our security experts like, hey, you need to shut this down, or we're getting an attack. Um, sometimes Amazon um, notifies us and says we found something suspicious. It's a pattern across their network. And we're letting you know what to do and recommendations. So it's yeah, it's crazy. It's the untouchable universe out there. Exactly, twenty four seven. So bananas. We had the Chinese assaulting our website uh, last year, and it was like eighty million hits an hour trying to break our codes to get into our server. And what's going on? It's bizarre. And to take that further, um, there are coders in India that are for hire, hackers for hire. And they're just they're just there, a big warehouse full of software developers and hackers, and you just pay them and they go after you. Do you think we could hire some hackers to get my Instagram account back from the oh. Pakistanis who stole it or from the Turks who stole it? Is that possible? It's it's possible. Yeah. It's very possible. I should, that's what I should do. I should hire me a hacker. Yeah. I wonder if they're using AI to do hacking yet. Not yet. Not but, yet. But, but it's coming. there. Yeah. And that that's gonna be awful. Yeah, you know, I was just talking to my daughter um, about AI, who is the recipient of her Bedford knife. Um, and she talked to her cousin, who's in the Air Force, and um, she does intelligence. And she's like, yeah, it's a real threat. It's a real threat, not just within the United States and domestic, but yeah, foreign foreign entities. What's your daughter doing? She is a newly commissioned air, uh, officer in the Air Force. Um, for the first year, she will be um, promoting um air force rotc and and the benefits of going through an rotc program to become an officer all right so she's gonna do an officer kind of recruiting cycle exactly okay. she's, she's really excited about cool. that where's she gonna be doing that at uh hill air force base is yeah, where she'll be in based Utah. yeah and, yeah, nice. and her region is in, in the boise montana wyoming um uh, new mexico area so yeah I flew that air show years ago. It was really crazy. You know, they turned the airport over to me, and I, I'm doing rolls on my downline headed to show center. And I, I, I never saw such a white crowd in my entire life. That is the whitest Mormony Utah crowd you've ever seen in your entire life at an air show. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, uh, backstory I, I grew up on Guam. Okay. Um, and my, the, 
the second city I ever visited in the mainland was Ogden, Utah. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it was definitely a stark contrast. <laughs> yeah, right. Especially when everything was closed down, you know, it was like, especially on the, especially on the, on the weekends. I was yeah. like, is there anything to do? It's like, well, it's, yeah. And Ogden's one of the only cool places up there because they've got the, all the private social clubs that you can join to like go in and, and have a drink. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah. I did not know that. I stayed up in Ogden uh, when I was, I used to stay in Ogden when I was flying the air show. Okay. Well, tell us about um, what got you to come into our company and tell, tell me about the tour you got and everything. Sure. Um, so I mentioned, you know, my daughter, uh, newly commissioned in the Air Force. I wanted to get her a cool gift, not just money, not a car. And like, hey, you know, congratulations. I wanted something to really show that I was proud of her. And she's going to be a third generation in the military. Mm-hmm. You know, although she didn't go into the Army, that's okay. Air Force is... It's considered, you know, the military. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we love her and we love all, all our all, all our uh, servers. Air, air people. Air, yes, exactly. Space Force. She loves Space Force, by the way. Is she going to try and get in Space Force? Eventually, eventually. <laughs> That's hilarious. a thing. Yeah. Hilarious. Their uniforms are different, by the way, too. Yeah, they are. They look like something out of like Starship Troopers. <laughs> yes. But um, that's, again, you know, we're talking about China and, and attacks. I mean, that's the next frontier. We have to be ahead of the game or we're just going to be shit on sorry yeah no you can swear yeah. you can say anything you want yeah so we need to be ahead of the game um so anyways uh i wanted to be proud i wanted to give her something to exude my my how proud i am and that she's she's going to be part of the military family uh and um i just i i was stumped and i thought well i can get her a knife uh that's available online or go to cabela's or or, yeah. or whatever it's called Tons of options yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I wanted a little bit more and I just so happened to be friends with one of your employees and she just had a picture of her, her knife, her Medford knife. Who who, who are your friends? Are, are you uh, friends Lindsay. with Lindsay? Lindsay. Cool. Customer service Lindsay. Um, and I said, wow, that's a beautiful knife. I love the color. It just, it just looks like it's well-made. And so I hit her up and I said, where do you work? And she gave me the website and I went online. And I said, I want one of these. Can you also engrave something? She's like, yeah, we can do that. So that's, kind we, of, that's kind of fluky. It's a small world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And she gave me all the options, and I gave her a graphic um, to put on it on there, and away, away it went. So one of the things that really uh, took me aback was the, the, the lead time, and I'm just like, why is that? And she goes, people want these knives, and we want quality uh, put out quality product. We don't rush these things. And I didn't understand that. I'm like... A whole year yeah possibly and she said it could be sooner it could be i mean it really depends and she and i had no idea what goes on with with making just a single blade yeah, so it's crazy yeah and and so when um she said that i had an opportunity to tour the facility i'm like yeah i really want to know what's going on like how does this how does this process work and 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 all what's involved i didn't think it was going to be this involved so when the other Lindsay gave me the tour. I mean, my eyes were just open. I said, I did not know this. This is what's involved. And the quality checks that each stage has and the tolerances, the very high tolerance, the you know, low tolerance. Tight tolerance, yeah. yeah very tight tolerance for, for your product at each step, each stage, um, just blew me away. It's bananas. It blows me away. Like, I'm telling you, when, when I actually get around to, to explaining it, like sometimes you have to explain it to a new employee 
and the, you can see the look on their face. They're like, "What?" Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, "Yeah, that's what we do." And then I'm, and then as I'm saying it, I I see them gloss over. Yeah. And I go, "God, this is this is pretty complex. It's not complex to make a knife. It's challenging to make a knife." After you do it a couple times, it's easy to make a knife. Yes. It's one of my favorite quotes from Chris Reeve. He and I were talking in Germany. He said, making one knife is no problem. Making 10 knives is challenging. He goes, make 100 or make 1,000. They're all the same. He goes, it's a goddamn miracle. It's doable. Oh, my gosh. Because when you stack up the tolerances, there is a plus or minus tolerance in life. And you feel it hugely in knives because they're such a tactile feel it's one of the only tools people judge it on feel yes like i guess a lot of tools are judged on feel but you know guys don't get a pair of pliers and you don't see guys trying out lots of different pliers <laughs> right those, yeah but but if you go if you ever like work with your grandfather or your dad or you work with an old craftsman you say oh get a pair of pliers out of the toolbox and you go get a pair of like, oh no not that pair they got a pair they really want. Yes. There's a pair that's your favorite. My pair, favorite pair of pliers is my grandfather's plastic. He's got plastic dipped, these triple jaw little pliers. They're my favorite because yeah. they work on everything. Yeah. Like tools are finicky. Yes. There's not too many tools where people judge them, where they open and close them. And you'll see them put them against their jawbone so they can listen to the joint. I mean, it's it's a little maddening. Yes. Um, I, I, I relate that to uh, firearms. So I shoot competitively, um, and it's just like a custom 1911 in the, in the tight tolerances. So uh, for me, I pick one up, and I pull the slide, and I just feel for wiggle room, mm -hmm. any wiggle room. And I just I feel the smoothness. And then obviously 1911 uh, aficionados, the trigger. It's all about that single action trigger is be able to just, just put your pad on the trigger and there's no, no there's no wiggle room Click, there bang. and then all of a sudden it, it's just a break yeah. and that was it it's super crisp and they right. love that they go crazy over over that yeah. so uh, very similar to your your approach to knives yeah so you know you see these you know you see what people you, know, you see 3 to 500 dollar 1911s out there right and then you see 5 and 7000 dollar 1911s and if you're if you don't know any different let's say you're just You've never bought guns before. You just moved to Arizona from California, or you're from New York. You look at the two of them, like, what? Man, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. What am I missing here? Yeah. Then you start feeling and start listening. Go shoot some groups. Learn how to shoot a little bit. And you're like, holy shit, it's a whole nother planet. Exactly. The challenge with selling, doing, making super high end anything, is educating a group of people to care. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I've been reasonably effective in communicating to people through our website and through the social media over the years you know what a pain in the ass knife making is and let me show you the steps here's how we do it yeah um i've had lots and lots of knife makers because i can tell who comes to our site yeah and snoops around oh yeah um, i've had lots and lots of knife makers come up and talk to me about my videos because i show all the little tricks of the trade they're not really tricks they're just you know figuring out how to solve problems mm -hmm. And uh, just like a magic trick, right? Magic tricks are only magical until someone tells you the trick. Yep. And then it's just a technique, right? <laughs> so I show all these techniques for what we do to, you know, hold really tight tolerances. Um, what, what's your biggest takeaway as you walk away from the whole thing? Um, just the the number of hands that, that touch a blade 
or even part of like the handle or, or the edge itself. Just the number of people that, that if, if you had to make a list of every person that touched a blade, I mean, it would be a long list. It would be. And it's amazing. And I actually probably favorite... be 30 people. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. That is really crazy. Um, my favorite part was the assembly and that sometimes it takes an hour or so to assemble one. It usually does. And I'm like, why an hour? Just put all the pieces right here and just put them together. That's like, no, that's not how it works. And then after assembly, not knowing that you let it settle. And then the next day you have another Q, another QA guy go through it. And I'm like, holy cow. Yeah. It's done. It was done yesterday. Because titanium can relax. Yeah. So I never knew that. It's so bananas. It's crazy. So if you think about it, like the pivot, okay, the whole thing rotates around the pivot is the joke, right? The blades rotate around the pivot. The handles hold the, the pivot. Any little wiggle in any of that makes the whole blade sloppy. Yeah. And folding knives, there's a triangle happening somewhere always. When they lock out, if it's a button lock, there's a triangle between the pivot and the button lock and the blade stop. Mm -hmm. There's a triangle there. And when you close a knife or you open up a frame lock, there's the point where the, the uh, lock face touches the spring face on your handle. There's the pivot. And then there's the pin that it stops against. So there's a triangle there. So the geometry of that triangle is kind of critical to... Certain shapes of the triangle make for a really good locking knife. Certain shapes don't. Okay. Wow. So if a triangle if a triangle is too narrow, it can be very bad. If it's too um, equilateral, it can be bad. So there's like there's crazy amount of it's a little ecosystem of design, and any little change you make can mess the whole thing up. But if you think about the three holes, the hole of the handle side and the spring side and the whole of the blade, and then the pivot. That's the most interesting kind of lunatic fringe part of the whole process. If you take 10 pieces of titanium and you make, you you put holes for a pivot on them, all 10 will be the different diameter. Oh, wow. Because first you either you decide to either, you either uh, helically mill them or you drill them but you make a hole somehow, and then as you're milling, let's say you interpolate and you mill the hole, which is what mostly goes on, the tool's wearing as you're doing that. So the hole maybe starts out at 250, and by the time it's got a thou of wear on the tool, it's 248. Okay. And that maybe happens across 10 operations. Oh, wow. So from one part, count 10 parts in, the hole's two thousandths off because it's a thou on each side. Two thousandths ruins a knife. If the hole is two thousandths too big, the pivot bangs all over the place and it makes crazy sounds and it's, it feels weird. And when yeah. you go to lock it, the blade shifts because there's a thou of, two thou of play. Mm -hmm. So we got to find a way to make the handles which are made of titanium, which is a metal that pushes back against cutting. Okay. And then you've got a blade and the blade hole has to be about two-tenths of a thou bigger than the handle holes. Two-tenths of one thou. That's two, four decimal places. Yeah, I was thinking in my head, like, how many zeros? Where does that it's decimal? It's one-fifth of wow. a thousandth of an inch. A human hair is about three thousandths of an inch on average. It's two-tenths of one thou. So it's two-thirtieths of a hair. Yeah, wow. 
So, and, and you do, and it, but if you make it too small, it's going to grab onto the pivot and try try to grab the pivot and it's going to start wearing stuff out. If you make it too big, when you side wiggle it, it's going to have lash and play in it. When you go to lock it, the blade's going to shift the foul. Mm-hmm. And then the handles, they have to kind of grip the, the pivot so the pivot doesn't turn with the blade. Even on a cold day, when it contracts a little bit and grabs onto the pin. Mm-hmm. So... To give you an idea, you know, we basically have a half a thou of tolerance between the blade and the handles, and there's zero tolerance outside of the handles being, they have to be what's called uh, positional fit, and the blade has to be what's called slip fit. Positional meaning, or actually there, one is interference, one is positional, and then the blade is uh, a slip fit. So on the spring side, we push the pin in with a with a press, and that holds it so it can't turn. Yeah. It's immovable then. So that one has to be a half thou smaller than the pivot. And then the front side, we want it to be what's called transitional or positional, meaning it you have to kind of force it on, but you can kind of force it off without tools and implements. So it's still gripping it. There's no play, but it doesn't turn well. And that makes it really stable. Now you've got a real stable pivot and two handles. And then the blade has to be about two-tenths larger so that it grabs onto the pivot but will slide around it. So you've got to be able to drop a pivot in it, put your thumb over one side, let go, and the pivot won't fall out because of vacuum. It's like that's what you do to get that feel. And then you hand set the lock, you hand grind the face, you hand set the depth on the lock, the amount of lock engagement. And then the whole thing is a waste if the blade is a half a thou off of proper thickness. Because, uh. you know, the chassis, the handles, you can't adjust the thickness on them. They yep. have Swiss parts that are their spacers. There's plus minus variance in those two. It's quite small, but there's variance in those two. Now, now the blade's got a plus minus thickness. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as my blade is one quarter of an inch exactly. Well, that's not possible. It's one quarter of an inch plus or minus a thou would be very aerospacey. Mm-hmm. Plus or minus a thou would almost ruin us. We're all inside of one half of a thou, all inside of five tenths. If we make a blade plus or minus two and a half tenths of a thou, it's just close enough that it'll work in every chassis we put it in. It's a crazy number. Nobody's chasing that kind of like consistency no. outside of something for like a satellite system or telemetry uh, or some satellite telemetry thing or you know what i mean there's nobody's doing that kind of craziness and that's just so that it feels and sounds right (laughs) it's kind of bananas (laughs) you're dealing with uh, different materials and different behaviors at different temperatures and when you're actually making the holes they like you said, titanium pushes back. So that's a different behavior yeah. from another material. Wow. Yeah, when you mill steel, it, it steel actually cuts pretty nicely. So when you cut a 250 hole, microscopically, when the uh, a, a mill, kind of like a drill bit, for those of you who are laypersons or may not know what a mill is, an end mill looks like a drill bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically a really stiff piece of carbide that has side he- helical side flutes on it that it cuts with, right? And uh, those flutes out at the very microscopic you know, where they're cutting the material away as they turn, they bend in a little bit. There's flex to them. So when you're cutting titanium, titanium pooches, and as you cut it, it pooches back out as the cutter passes by. 
so you can cut an exact two two point two five zero zero hole and it will be two four nine two it'll it'll be eight tenths under size you have to cut it a little bit bigger because it pooches back it so there's there's some backflow of the titanium if you will but steel doesn't do that so you have different programs for cutting holes in titanium versus cutting them in steel. And some steel cuts like butter. Some steel fights you back like crazy. Oh. Depends on the carbides, you know. So it's just, um, it's, it's when I when I explain it to people, if they've taken the time to kind of wrap their brain, they go, holy shit, how do you do it? I go, well, we drive ourselves a little crazy doing it. It's a little crazy. So you have to be a little bit obsessed. Yeah, there's a little bit of OCD for yeah. sure going on. And uh I don't know how I balanced that, but I seem to have found a kind of groove where I don't let it drive me too crazy. I'm not a micromanager, mm-hmm. so I kind of step back and let everybody do their job, and everybody here does a really nice job. Got a really, really talented bunch of craftspeople. Yeah. That's what I hear. So um, your daughter got the knife? She did, How yeah. long did it take you to get the knife after you ordered it? It, it was about 10 months. Okay. 10 months so i was i was i was patient <laughs> i knew that was going to take that long um yeah she was giddy i mean we got into into the jeep and i took out my bass pro <laughs> and she took hers out and she was just flipping it open and closing and open and close it and i gave her my 99 dollar one she opened and closed she's like uh here you can take that back <laughs> she was just the whole drive home and she was just like oogling over it that's and, cool and and I think um, she would not have appreciated it if she didn't take the tour and go, wow, like again, yeah. all these people, it took all these people to make this one knife. So. You know what's interesting is after you develop a taste for high-end knives, um, you know, I'm kind of a polarizing character because I'm outspoken and everybody thinks I'm a racist because I'm conservative and I'm super comfy talking about race. Um but if you can put all that aside and you just look at our products that my team makes, they will mess up your judgment of everything, your expectations. Um, if you're someone who has grown up driving Porsches and that's all you ever drive, the first time you drive a non-Porsche, you're going to be like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> because they're so good. Yes. There are only a, a co- very few companies on planet Earth that when you feel their knives, you there is a something uh, authentic, amazing feel to it. Uh, and what, you know, one of the number one things my employees, the guys on the team here and gals say, I'll, I try to, you know, at some point take almost everybody to a trade show and you get them to a trade show, say, hey, go out, check out other knives. And they know what our standard and expectation is. And as they go around, they see all these brands that they know and all these famous knife makers that they know and they get back to us and go, hey, what'd you think? A lot of cool stuff, right? They're like, yeah, a lot of stuff that would never make it out of QC at our place. And I go, I know, I know, I know. So people spend a lot of time in America focusing on cheaper and what can we get away with. Yep. And they don't spend enough time saying, I don't care what it costs to make it spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a different way of looking at the world. My, my, my way is I don't care what it costs to make it spectacular. Yeah. And you know what? We're going to let people down sometimes. Really? Yep. We will let somebody down because their idea of spectacular is some level of perfection that's not achievable. Okay. Or they have a different, you know, maybe their their idea of spectacular is how loose and something is. Uh-huh. They it, like they could they could be a little wrong headed about it. Where that's not a quality thing. It's a um, 
affectation of some prior product they had. Some guys, they have a really worn out old flipper. Yeah. And then they get a new flipper that's really tight. And they're like, ah, you know, my old flipper was really easy. Well, it was loose and it was broken and it was sloppy and had lit wiggle and play in it. Yeah, I don't care, but it was easy to flip. Well, that's kind of a hard thing to... <laughs> it's like a guy who says, well, I love that new pickup truck, but my old one was scratched up. I didn't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. You're like, okay, well, it's, I can't, it's brand new. What can I tell you? I mean, we could scratch up a new one if you want to. Yeah, but... let's go get a hammer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to patina your truck for you. There you go. But, um, it's you know, it's... Uh, it, it can spoil you because once you start searching for that quality and what you know what i noticed it, what it did to me do you have anything else in your life that you buy kind of crazy penultimate fetish quality i, mean, I was ta talked about firearms um that's that's so very similar like what what brand or what type maker so i started out with a smith smith and wesson wesson mmp you know uh, it's a plastic yeah like, Plastic gun. Yep. Um, and then I started shooting competitively, and I saw these uh, other guys shooting um, custom 1911s, Nighthawk, right? right? right. And uh, staccatos yeah. and uh, CZs. And I asked them how much it was, and it was like 4000 I'm like, oh, okay, I'm good. But then once I handled one and fired it, I went, holy cow, this yep. thing, the slide reciprocates like butter. I right. mean, it was just a different, smooth different operator. Animal. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm like... You know that that price tag isn't so bad when you realize how much pleasure you get out of it. Yeah, the experience is really about the experience. And yeah, a couple years you know later, I got myself a couple thousand you know a couple thousand dollar gun, uh, you know guns, several of them, and uh, I appreciate the workmanship that goes into yeah. it. Uh, and the same approach, you know, now that I want you know have a Medford knife, it's like okay. I have a newfound appreciation for the craftsmanship and the quality. And yes, it comes with a price. And uh, I am willing to wait and, and, and spend the funds to get a quality product. You know, I live in kind of a snooty neighborhood. I'm 53 years old. I own a company. I, work, I have worked pretty hard mm -hmm. and I've had some success. And uh, if you look in my garage... You will see very few things there, but what you see are all awesome. And if you look at my house, I have less stuff than I had when I was younger, mm -hmm. a lot less. But what I have is pretty awesome. I feel like the things that we buy, uh, you know, if I drive through, let's say my starter neighborhood when I was a young guy, if I go back and drive through that neighborhood and the garage doors are open, they're full of shit. Yeah plastic rubbermaid tubs and stuff hanging from the ceiling, just full of stuff lots of mediocre lots of junk lots of garage sale stuff at some point i i started deleting all those things from my life very consciously like you know there's this movement this minimalist movement like yes. try to own less than 100 things yeah okay well if you don't own a house you can actually get there pretty quickly yes <laughs> and you go god you know i really don't need that much i've I've kind of done it on the high end. Like, I don't have that much, but what I have is all pretty awesome. Yeah. And it enriches your life. A really good knife, it actually, you know, and the reason I'm bringing it up, it's not bragging, it's because you said you get pleasure from high-end high things. Yes. Plastic injection molded toys for our kids don't bring us much pleasure, and they don't bring the kids much pleasure either. They play with them for a little while, and they end up in the back, yeah. sun, sun bleached. Then they end up in the pile on the side of the garage. Then they end up in the big trash receptacle yes. that we roll out 
like a yeah. big gulp out to the sidewalk, yeah. right? Or they end up in a, a, a garage sale. I've tried to like, I got a thing now where like, I don't buy anything that I would ever put in a garage sale. And I have a lot less things. Like I said, my garage is almost empty, but what's there? Everyone of you be like, oh my God, <laughs> oh my God, that's so cool. Oh my God, that's so cool. Because <laughs> I've just tried to say, I'm not going to buy a lot of stuff, but whatever it gets to be spectacular. And I feel like that knife, knives did it to me. Knives started that and it permeated everything else in my life because I was searching for this perfection. Yeah. Searching for this perfect, gap free, perfect little it's a simple mechanism right it's got a little wedge friction lock or it's got a little button on it how do you make one that has no play in any direction yeah. it's like the perfect pistol mm -hmm. you know that's six or eight thousand dollars so uh, i started doing that with everything else in my life i started doing it with my shoes so if you i know it's weird i'm i i i don't know how many shoes you have you probably got a cup trainer a pair of running shoes a couple of sneakers for working yep. out there you, you go. got your old pair that your beater that you'll go that you'll go mow in or yes. do yard work in yep. right yeah then maybe you got a pair of work boots yep maybe two one that's good for standing all day and then one that's good for like if you're going to be swinging a shovel there you go yes am exactly. i right you got yes. a couple pairs of boots yep. yep okay and then you most of us have a hiking pair of hiking shoes yep. or hiking boots yep Okay, yep. and then most of us have something we'd wear down to the river if we yep. were going to go canoeing or whatever right so you end up having 10 or 15 or 20 pairs of shoes if you're a guy who's got some hobbies and gets around a little yeah. bit. I bet most people have got, most guys have got between 12 and 20 pairs of shoes. Yep. And then you got, you got a funeral, so you got a pair of dress shoes. Of course. And then you're like, every now and then you got to go to your in-laws place. You don't want to wear dress shoes. You got something that's semi-dressy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We've all got that, right? You, yeah. You put some effort into dressing up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you're, but it's not a funeral, so you're not all the way. Exactly. So... Um, what I did is I kind of started curating my shoes. So I have the I have that same roster of shoes I've always had, but now I have all handmade and American made. There you go. And uh, it's like it's I'm not I I I'm like fashion stuff. I'm like I roll my eyes at it. I used to. Now I kind of get it, you know, because now I see my shoes. The knife thing started my shoe thing, <laughs> and it started my watch thing. There you go. And it, and so. I, I kind of have a, cu a curated stuff around me now. I'm like, oh, I don't need one of those. I already have one kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, they were expensive as hell, and I I, uh, I I wouldn't give them back for anything. What's that? Okay, fair enough. So it's, uh, it's just one of those um, like developing a quality fetish. Yes. Can can go everywhere. Yeah. So you got it with guns first. Oh yeah, and maybe oh, yeah. you're getting it with knives. Oh now. no no, there's I'm, I've I have been shopping. I have been shopping on your site, going. Mm, do I just want a practical, smooth criminal, or do do I go a little bit a little bit bigger? And, I uh, always recommend practical and totally simple yeah. for your first one. Smooth criminal, and then get your Sunday go to meet and knife. You know, <laughs> like because you'll get some nuance from it. From yes, carrying it, you'd be like. Hey, I kind of like flippers, or hey, I don't like flippers, or hey, I want one that's not a flipper. Yeah, um, fixed blade. But it's oh, yeah. funny; it starts affecting everything. Oh yeah. So it started affecting like when I went to get dishes for my house. You know, I got divorced and I had to like buy all the kitchen stuff. Uh, so I went and talked to my mom, and she got these diner plates from the 1950s out of a Greek diner that have sailboats on them. Yeah. Super masculine, made by this Japanese company, Noritake. Yeah. And if you read about them, it's the best quality porcelain and uh, all, all of this yada, yada, yada. 
well, the plates are goddamn indestructible, and I love the damn things, and they've got this classic <laughs> style to them. Nice. So that's the way my house is. It's kind of a weird collection of just trying to get the absolute kind of best. Yeah. And it wasn't like gold-leafed and fancy. They're diner plates from a diner in the 1950s, but they were made by a company that was just known for spectacular quality. Yeah. And so I was like, well, let me get a vintage set of those. So I've been doing that my whole life, and 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 you know what's funny is buying high-end knives led me to discernment towards having only things around me that elevate my life. Yes, quality of life, pleasure. I mean, you, you get meaning out of your life. So I have um, less stuff, yeah. but this everything that I touch, I kind of know the company. I kind of know the story about it. I feel... It's just dishes, you know, like who yeah. cares? But if you got to have dishes, why, why not have them be awesome? Yeah. I mean, look, you're, you're telling us the story about how you got the dishes. I mean, it it, it has impacted your life. Now yeah. you have a story to tell. Yeah. It's awesome. It's funny when people come over too, they're always like, oh my God, these plates are so interesting. I'm like, yeah, they're from a diner in the 1950s. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> yeah. And, they, and everyone always cracks up and they're like, oh my God. And they've got sailboats on them. They're beautiful. Um. You know, I'm a uh, I'm a Nipponophile. I when I was young, I read everything about the samurai and the mm-hmm. code of Bushido and uh, Japan and the history of Japan since say uh, like the 10th century up to World War II. Okay. And 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 I'm telling you this because this informs my knife making. The Japanese are known for being Everything they do, they turn into this kind of zen. Um, by making something perfect, you make yourself better. It's the clo- the closer you get towards heavenly. Oh, okay. So they're awesome at making stuff. They're very crafty and awesome, awesome craftsmen. And there's families over there that have been making kimonos for a thousand years. There's nobody in the United States who's been making anything for a thousand years. <laughs> and there's nobody who can get their kids to go into the family business anymore, yeah. practically, right? Yeah. Um, the sword, the people who make swords there, most of them, their families have been in the sword-making business for six, six or seven centuries. Yeah. There was something about them that was really appealing to me. And it was like, they, they have a ceremony for making tea. Mm-hmm. They are very particular about how they hand you a business card. They're particular about how they shake your hand. Like, I, I'm, and I, it intrigued me. And what I found was it elevates your life to try to do things perfectly. And then you have to have the grace to let yourself be not perfect, which is, you know, that's the maybe Judeo-Christian forgive yourself a little bit. Mm -hmm. But that informs my knife making. We're trying to make them perfect. The stuff that matters, the feel, the bit, how it works in your hand and the edge. You you guys are doing a great job, by the way, your whole crew. Well, I wanted to have you in and talk because I met your daughter when she was on the tour with you. I wanted to um, uh, kind of hear firsthand. It's not like you're a fanboy. You recent recently found out about us. You're not a knife nut. You're Correct. just recent fallen into knives. Exactly. And then you got this tour, and it just so happens we're in the same town. If you'd been in a different town, it wouldn't have been us. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to kind of get um, kind of a com- complete new new to the genre take on what we do. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a pleasure. I mean, this is, is something that um, I'm probably going to tell other people. Just like, hey, you know, I went up to Medford Knives and took a tour, and you have no idea 
what goes into their, into their knives. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm <clears throat> I'm pretty proud. I you know, like I said, uh, I've been I'm currently shopping for for my own personal one now that I handled my daughter's. I'm like, I want one of those. I want one of those. It's just cool. Something crossed my mind um, years ago when, you know, people didn't understand the price and I was one of the, you know, there were, I was one of the most expensive American made shooting for a semi-production level handmade knife. Um, And it crossed my mind that people had no idea about the value of what goes into it. When people know what goes into it, they start to see the value. Yeah. Or it's just another damn widget. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what I noticed, I had a couple of dads come in, and dads in their seventies, they remember their first house costing thirty five hundred dollars. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So you get your dad to come in, and and I so I had some, I had a couple Navy SEALs and a couple Marines whose dads came in to get them a graduation knife. Mm-hmm. Seal, hey, what do you want? Oh, give me a Medford knife. I'll be the coolest thing ever. So the dads come in, and they're like aghast at the price. <laughs> they're just like. What the hell? I mean, my knife cost me forty nine dollars. I've had it for two years. What do you? What? Oh, my yeah. kid wants one. I'm just gonna get one. They've driven here from Texas. Yeah. And I give them the tour, and at the end of the tour, they're like, "Man, I didn't know." Yep. They're like, "Can you make another one just like that one for me, and yep. just put number two on it, so my boys go like." And I said, man, I, that was illustrative for me because I'm like, people just don't know. And when they do know, they think it's cool and it's worth it. Yes. But if they don't know, they don't think it's worth it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, pleasure having you in, Ben. I'm really happy that you came back. I appreciate the trouble. Take a time out of your day. And uh, it's fun having you on. It's fun kind of hearing your very fresh perspective on, on the walkthrough and the take on what we do. Yeah, I'm happy to do this for you. Very cool. Um, well, I guess we're make, we'll make a knife for you when you're ready. Yes, exactly. Thanks for coming in. Really yeah, appreciate pre- it. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, sports fans. That's the show. Just a little uh, little debrief and wrap up. I thought it was fun. You know, I had somebody come in with their daughter, and they get a cool knife, and it's a military thing, and it's the first time, and wanting to do something special, and it all adds up into a unique, fun little American story. And uh, I thought it was worth kind of sharing and kind of letting you see what happens here and what I encounter on a daily basis. Thanks for stopping by the show. Remember, if you're seeing us on YouTube or you're seeing us on one of the other places, you can find us at Rumble, Spotify, and iTunes. Just do a search for The Greg Medford Show. Smash that little like button wherever you see it, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in.